things that we have coming up. So as we're getting into miracles, we've been talking about that for the last few weeks. And so we jump into miracles part three tonight. So, you know, a lot of these, if not all of these, you are familiar with. And so you've probably, if you've spent, you know, some amount of time in church, you've probably heard of or seen or, you know, seen information about or maybe you've read some of these uh, miracles. And so our hope and attempt is that we would discuss these things uh, in a way that would, A, refresh our memory and, you know, the information about what we're seeing, but uh, m- more importantly is to give us a, a fresh take on it that we would see, well, what is it that, you know, God is showing us? Like, for instance, uh, week one was the wedding at Cana. Now, it was Jesus' miracle that we studied that he turned the water into wine, but that, he didn't do that just for show. And so there was, there was purpose, there was intention to that. And so you'll notice that there's a theme. And so I'll actually reference a couple of things from week one tonight that, uh, because they're a theme. You know, as we begin to study these, as Pastor Tony talked last week, uh, there, there's a theme as we began to go through this. And so as we talk about and get our mind geared back to thinking towards miracles, uh, miracles really tend to solicit more of a wow and less of a how. Miracles tend to solicit more of a wow and less of a how. You see, Jesus never performed miracles for show. So you, you don't read in the Gospels or anywhere in, in you know, the Gospels to where Jesus was involved in something and it was to uh, solicit a response. Jesus was very intentional with what he did and, and the actions and the words that he spoke, uh, but it was never just so people would be in awe of what he did. It was to draw them to himself. Nor do you see, it's very rare if ever, do you see anyone asking Jesus how he did what he did, right? You don't see Jesus turning the water into wine and someone coming to him and saying, I've got to know your secret. What was it that you did here? Or tonight when we look in Luke chapter 5 where uh, the catch of fish that Peter received, no one is saying, now wait a minute, did you know this was going to, there's a special type of net, right? Do you have a fish finder that we're not seeing here? You know, this, was, this wasn't something they're asking instructions from. They're, they're in glorified awe, if you will, of what Jesus has done. And so it's more of a wow and really less of a how. You see, when we spend our time looking for how God works, instead of receiving what God did or what God does, we miss the point. So as we endeavor to continue this study of miracles, the point is not for you to be in shock of the things that Jesus did, but to see Jesus from another angle or through a different lens so that it would magnify him in your life, draw you closer to him, but not that you would try to mimic or create this scenario to where God would do the same things in your life, right? So as we look through this tonight and we look at the catch of fish, I hope to give you some very practical things that you and I can apply to our own lives. But it's not a recipe that if you do these things, miracles will appear in your life, right? That makes sense. I think we all know that, but it just feels like we should, we should discuss it. You see, God uses the supernatural in our lives to get our attention and to draw us closer to himself. Now, sometimes it's very easy to get our attention. So for some of us, uh, God doesn't have to do a whole lot. You know, that's just like with raising kids. Some kids, you look at them and they're going to mind. Some kids, you know, looking doesn't do anything. And so you have to take it multiple steps further, right? And so as we've seen the miracle of the water and the wine in Cana, we also saw Jesus casting out demons last week. Pastor Tony covered that. Now today we see 
Jesus is continuing to gain popularity. He's gathering a following of people, and rightfully so, right? I mean, this is pre-Facebook, and so, you know, there's lots happening here, and people are seeing it with their eyeballs, and then they're going home and they're talking about it, and they're gathering this crowd. And so many, many people had begun to follow after Jesus. So he, uh, you know, I guess officially slash unofficially had inaugurated his ministry. And Jesus, as we pick up in Luke chapter 5, has found himself on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, or you'll see the Lake of Gennesaret, which is the same thing. And so we see Jesus on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. Now, just for some context, if you're ever on Jeopardy, uh, the Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. Interesting, right? It is uh, about 150 feet at its deepest point, so it's not very shallow. Uh, And there's about 18 known varieties of fish inside of the Sea of Galilee, 10 of which most fishermen pursue. So it gives you a little context. Very deep lake, uh, very, you know, pretty good-sized lake. It's the lowest freshwater lake in the world, and there's a lot of fish in there. All right, so that's the scene. That's the context for where we find ourselves. So we pick up in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And so here's the picture, Peter and uh, his, uh, assumedly his brother, uh, James and John, which we learn at the end of this. Uh, they'd been out fishing. It's early to mid-morning, or mid to uh, early day, mid-morning, early noon here. And they've been out fishing, and so they've fished all night. And as the Bible tells us, now they've come in, and now they're, they're cleaning their nets. And so it's a typical morning, right, for a fisherman, for them. They would fish during the night. Uh, there's reasons for that we'll get to. And so as they would fish, they would come in, and they would clean their boat. And so here's Peter and uh, his brother, James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee. They're all out fishing. They come in. They catch nothing. Now they're washing their nets. Now, they're probably not in the best moods, Right? I mean, they've spent the entire night working, and they don't have anything to show for it. Well, they're cleaning their nets. They're getting everything prepared. So as I was thinking about this, well, this is really all a part of boating. It's all a part of fishing. If, you, if you've ever fished or if you've ever uh, had any involvement with the boat, there's a lot of before and after that takes place. It's not just launch from the uh, boat launch and you're out having a blast, or it's not just go fishing. There's a lot to that. Uh, down the road from our house, there's a, a small pond, and so especially during COVID, you know, there's nothing else to do, and so we fish there a lot. But we just didn't run out of the house and go down the road to the pond. You know, we had to get the fishing poles. We had to get the tackle. We had, you know, we had to prepare to go down there. And so as we, you know, as we think about this imagery, they're getting their nets clean. They're getting everything together. They're doing the small things, right? The mundane things, the things that have to be done. But you see, so we have a boat, and so we go out sometimes, and my kids think that the boat is magically always ready to go, and it magically cleans itself. That's what my kids think. And so they think if we go out that, you know, you just handle everything and I'm just going to be there for the fun. But I'm a good dad, right? And so I don't let that happen. So they're involved in the pre. They're involved in the fun. But they're also involved in the post, right? That We've got to clean. Well, they don't like to wash the boat. They don't like to clean things. Well, neither do I, okay? 
Uh, so that's why this is a team effort. Many hands make light work. That's what I always tell them. And they don't like that saying. And so we're all working together because it's mundane. No one gets glory or credit or joy or satisfaction from doing that. And so this is where we find Peter and his pals. They're doing things that no one gets a reward for, right? They're cleaning their nets. They're taking care of the things that they have. You see, no one looks at your fishing pole and says, man, that is the shiniest fishing pole I've ever seen. No one cares about that. They want to know how many fish that you caught. And so as I thought about this imagery that, you know, we're getting in our minds here, it's the same with following Jesus, isn't it? It's the same with following Jesus, that following Jesus is long obedience, we say this all the time, in the same direction. It's daily commitment to obeying Jesus. And so often in our life, I believe that we, we buy into this, uh, you know, this elaborate, this you know, showmanship of Christianity, and that's not true. I mean, again, this is pre-Facebook. These guys were following Jesus, and no one knew them. Now everyone knows them. But they didn't follow Jesus for notoriety. They followed Jesus out of obedience. And so as we think about this everyday stuff, you see, God primarily calls us to ordinary obedience. You know, Jesus said in many places, if you're faithful in the small things, then you can be faithful in much. And so often in our Christian walk, I believe we, we fall into the trap or we believe the lie that God is only going to speak to me or God is only going to call me for the big, elaborate, flashy, glory, get all the credit things, right? I'm going to be the lead on the mission team. I'm going to be the one who leads my neighbor to Christ. I'm going to be the one who gets all the credit or the one that's responsible, the one that's in charge. But that's not the case. For 99% of us, you know what God calls us to? Everyday, ordinary obedience. That we would be faithful in the small things. That we would love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that we would love our neighbors ourselves. That's what Jesus said was the gist of what it means to follow him. And so don't get caught up in this belief that, oh, you know, washing nets is for someone else. No, it's for you. It's your nets. And you need to be responsible for your nets. You see, to be faithful in everyday moments of life, it means that we would persevere in what may seem to be mundane, but it is necessary. It is necessary. Several years ago, uh, we went through the book of Ecclesiastes. And in the study, we talked about, uh, it was called Over the Sun, if you'd like to go back and listen to it on the website, uh, was the name of the series. But we talked about uh, just what it looks like to be practical. You know, Ecclesiastes is very practical. He says there's nothing new under the sun. And so for us, as we you know, follow the wisdom of Solomon, uh, there was many things that we learned from that. But in that series, I, I thought about this as I was preparing for tonight. In the series, I made this comment, and this has so resonated in my heart, and, and we've talked about this several times over the years uh, in staff meetings. But but I made this comment, what if our work was never intended to make us successful? What if our work was never intended to make us successful, but it was simply to make us faithful and generous? Right? Because here's the deal. If you name the one thing in your life that you're most faithful to, if you're honest with yourself, it's your job. It's what you get up and go to every day. It's the punching the clock, showing up at the same place. You know, I don't know what the stats are, but if you look at, the, if you Google the percentage of time of your life that you spend at work, it's a lot. It's a lot. And you know why you show up? Because if I show up on Monday, they're going to pay me for Monday. 
And if I show up on Tuesday, they're going to pay me for Tuesday. And then over a period of time, consistently, as you continue to work, you got five days, now you got a paycheck. Right? It's just this daily, consistent obedience. It's the same way with following Jesus, that if we think in our own lives that, you know, our jobs are just a mean to the end, well, what if they're not? What if God is teaching you how to be faithful as you prepare for eternity? What about the, the money that we earn? What if God is teaching us, hey, that money is just not to reward you for a job well done, but what if it's also that God is teaching you and me generosity through the things in which he blesses us with? And so as we think about this ordinary, everyday life, we're all right smack dab in the middle of it. That our obedience that God is interested in primarily is every day, every day that we do, every act that we take, even the things that people don't see. You see, Jesus meets us where we are in the everyday. And, and here's why I think that's true. Because spiritual things are often preceded by practical things. Spiritual things are often preceded by practical things. You see, the disciples were cleaning their nets. And Jesus saw the care and the intention that Peter and his guys brought to cleaning their nets. He saw what they had done. He saw the attentiveness to detail of what Peter and his guys were doing. Of course, it's Jesus. He knows everything, right? But he sees the intention that, that Peter is bringing. And he knew that Peter was not only intentional about his profession uh, of cleaning the nets, but he was also intentional about his profession of catching fish. And so he knew that cleaning nets led to catching fish. And Peter was just as interested in cleaning nets as Peter was in catching fish. And Jesus saw that. You see, our own motives and our own heart reveal a lot about ourselves. And so if we want to follow Jesus only in the things in which we get credit for, where does our motive lie? Or do we follow Jesus when no one else notices? Do we bless others when we don't get credit for that? Are we involved in things in which only God knows? You see, I believe in my own heart that spiritual things are often preceded by these things that we do that are practical. How much more intentional, I believe Jesus thought, was Peter... If he's that intentional about his net, how much more intentional will he be for the gospel? You see, Jesus saw the best that was in Peter, and he knew that Peter was capable of great things for the kingdom. And so we get this imagery of fishing. You know, again, there's multiple places that Jesus uses this, and, and this, this imagery is the same imagery that we must bring to the care and devotion to gospel ministry, that if we are so devoted to our jobs and if we're so devoted to our careers, how much more intention should we bring and how much more care should we bring to our devotion to the gospel? You see, as we see with Peter, he gave his best to his profession, but he also gave his best to his faith. He gave his best to his profession, but he also gave his best to his faith. You see, often people can be guilty of giving their best in other areas of life except for their walk with God. Now, we're all guilty of this, so we'll get the charades off the table, right? But how, how often do we prepare for worship on Sunday mornings? And this is such an overused cliche, but, you know, if you were to meet someone that you felt was very important, you wouldn't just wake up and race in here at 817, 
No, you would get here early, you would prepare, you would look 45 times in the mirror to make sure there was no you know, pancakes in your teeth, right? You would be ready and you would be prepared to meet that person. And every Sunday morning when we gather in this place, the Bible says where two or three or more are gathered, there I am in that place. This sanctuary is holy because the presence of the Spirit of God that resides in us is in this place, Right? And so when we gather together for worship, we should approach that as an opportunity to be prepared to worship. But I'm just as guilty as you. I mean, sometimes we come rolling in here, you know, if you have kids or, you, you know, whatever, you got responsibilities, we come rolling in here and sometimes we just roll right in, sit down, and we're like, all right, what you got? You know, you got 45 minutes, well, if Tony's preaching, you got an hour and a half to, to give me something here, Right? Right, you got, you got an hour and a half to give me something. And then we walk away and we say, oh, man, that was good. Or, man, that wasn't really good. Or, I didn't get anything out. Or, you know, that was awesome. Or whatever it may be. But that we would give our best to that. Right, that we would be intentional about giving our best. And so in every moment, in every action, in every opportunity, God is working in our lives to bring about his desired outcome for us. And so we should be involved and we should be committed to saying, I will give my best in that situation. So this imagery is that we would care for the gospel just as much as we care for our professions. You know, another thing that I think is interesting about this imagery uh, as we look at this fishing imagery is, uh, you know, so the Jesus fish, right? You've you're familiar with that? You see that on a car, the emblem or whatever? Well, this is fascinating. So this imagery, this fishing imagery was so strong that the Greek word for fish came to represent Jesus' name. Interesting, right? You see, you know, car tax stickers, Jesus fish and everything. But if you take the letters in Greek that spell the word fish, they made an acrostic for that. Now, I'm not, gonna, I'm not about to speak in, in Greek for you, uh, but they made an acrostic for that. And, and here's, what they, here's what it meant. It meant Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And so it, it was so popular that Jesus was so involved in that, that it became, fishing became synonymous with Jesus, to which then we would say, does what I do and what I'm involved in, is that synonymous with Jesus, right? The things, our activities, you know, whatever those may be, our professions. Are we known as that person that performs that career or are we known as a believer who is involved in that career? You see the difference? And so if it's something that Jesus himself was so well known for, then the challenge for us is what does that look like for us? And so in verse 3, they're, they're cleaning their nets. Verse 3 says, getting into one of the boats then, which was Simon's, which is Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And so Peter, Peter has his boat to stay on the side. Jesus sees everybody kind of pressing in. And so it was, it was popular, it was common for teachers to press out a little bit from the water, and they would teach from a boat. And uh, the water gave kind of an echoing effect. And so uh, Jesus asked Peter, hey, uh, put out a little bit from the land. And so he, Jesus sat down again, which was common, and he taught the people from the boat. So Jesus, Peter and his pals, are uh, they're on the side cleaning. Jesus says, hey, can we use your boat? Okay, yeah, you can do that. And so they hop in the boat, and then he says, hey, push out just a tad so more people can hear me. And so there's this gathering of people. Get this in your mind. Jesus and, his, and uh, Peter and the guys are now in the boat with Jesus, and Jesus is teaching. 
And so as we you know, spend a lot of time talking about the nets, the boats are the same, right? They represent our ordinary lives. And so here's what Jesus did. Jesus went right into the middle of Peter's office, and he sat down. He sat down. He, he went to the middle of Peter's office, and he sat down. Now, here's what I find interesting about this, is that Jesus didn't go to Peter and say, I want that boat, and I need to be about 20 yards out. That's not what it says. That's not what it says. Here's, let's read it again. Getting into one of the boats, which was Peter's, he asked him. Jesus asked Peter. Okay? Two weeks ago, we talked about this. We said that you have to welcome Jesus into the situation right? That you have to welcome Jesus into the situation. So the question is, what does that look like for us? You see, this is ordinary life, right? What does it look like with Jesus in my living room? What does it look like with Jesus in the middle of my office? You see, Jesus asked Peter, remember, God is not going to force himself. He could, but he doesn't. He's not going to force himself into your life. He, just like the rich young ruler, says, hey, I want, I want to love you. I know there's a better life for you, and here's, the, here's what it takes, right? You've got to give up everything and follow me. And the rich young ruler turned and walked away. And Jesus didn't say, he didn't grab him by the shoulder, spin him around and say, you know what? Just for you, I'm going to do this. He didn't say, please, wait, reconsider. No, he didn't beg him to do that. He presented him an opportunity to receive the gospel, and he chose not to take it. And so Peter was asked, can we use your boat? Will you push out a tad? And he did that. And so for us, Jesus is asking, can I be involved in your situations? Can I be involved in your workplace? I was talking to someone here uh, recently, was talking about their, their job, and, you know, it was kind of dicey. And so the question that I instantly thought about was, what does that look like with Jesus in the middle of it? Has he been welcomed into the situation? So here's the principle. God is involved in the places that he is invited. God is involved in the places that he is invited. What does it say? He asked him to put out a little from the land. And what does Jesus do? He sat down and taught the people. When we invite Jesus, when we involve Jesus into the places of everyday life for us, he sits down and he teaches the people. You see, when Peter allowed Jesus into his workplace, Jesus taught the people. I personally think that's fascinating. Because think about, think about what this means. So Jesus... Jesus is in the middle of Peter's profession, and Peter is not the one teaching the people. Jesus is teaching the people, right? So you say, well, I don't know about this. You know, they don't let me talk about God at work or school or whatever, whatever that may be. Look, God is not asking you to be the mouthpiece. Maybe he is, maybe he's not, but he's not requiring you to be the mouthpiece for what he wants to do in the middle of where you are. He's just asking us to be faithful to represent him in those moments. He's the one who does the work. Listen, it's not contingent on you to, to win your neighbor to Christ. It's not on your back. It's not the responsibility or the burden on you to do that. You just get to be a part of that. If God wants to save your neighbor, he'll use somebody else if you don't participate. Right? It's the same thing at work. I don't know. I, you know, I, I can't share my, I can't live my faith. I can't declare the things in which I believe to be true about Jesus. Listen, if you just invite him into the situation, what does that look like? It looks like Jesus moving. It doesn't look like you moving. 
And so here we see in verse 4, when he had finished speaking, so Jesus preaches, I'm sure, an incredible message. But we don't hear anything about that. Because here's, here's the point of the text here. He said to Peter, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So Peter, he did what Jesus said, right? Okay, hey, push out 20 yards, whatever. So they pushed out. He sits there. He listens to everything that Jesus said. Now he's tired. He's probably still got to finish cleaning nets, maybe. He's probably ready to go home, but he obeyed, okay? And so now they're out in the middle. Jesus preaches. Jesus is done preaching. And then Jesus turns to Peter, and he said, because look, here's the deal. Jesus is looking around his boat, and here's what Jesus notices about his boat. There's no fish in there, right? There's no fish in the boat. The nets are, are sparkling clean because why? Because there's no fish slime on the nets. There's no fish guts on the nets. So he looks around, he sees no fish, and he looks to Peter and says, hey, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Jesus tells Peter, a professional fisherman, how to fish. Okay, right? Get that imagery there? Here's what Jesus did not do. Jesus did not critique Peter's boat. He didn't say, man, if your boat was bigger, you'd probably have a better chance of catching fish. He didn't say, hey, look, that lure that you're using, that really doesn't work very well. He didn't say, I thought you were a professional fisherman, and now you have no fish. That is none of which Jesus said. He said, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. You see, what Jesus did is he enhanced Peter's boat. Jesus enhanced Peter's catch. Jesus enhanced Peter's ability. And so when Jesus was invited into the situation, remember, he asked. When he's invited into the situation, he enhanced everything about the situation. So Jesus ends this teaching. They, they put out for a net. Now, putting out the net would mean what? Remember, they cleaned the nets. So if now they're putting their nets back out, what does that mean? we got to clean again. Right? And so, again, this doesn't make sense to Peter, but they went against everything that they knew as a fisherman to be wise. It's the middle of the day. They're tired. The fish don't bite in the middle of the day. Fish also don't uh, get trapped in nets in the middle of the day because they can see the net uh, assumptively. And so uh, they did it at night so it wasn't as visible. And so here... They're doing what doesn't make sense to them. Same thing we talked about with the wedding, uh, the miracle at uh, Cana. So it doesn't make sense. So here's the principle that we draw from this, is that following Jesus is not a spectator sport. You have to be involved. Jesus could have said, guys, move to the back of the boat. I'm about to load the front with fish. But that's not what he said. He involved Peter and his friends in the equation, right? He, he met them where they're at, the everyday, and he involved them in the everyday. In verse 5, it says, Simon answered, or Peter answered, Master, we have told all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Notice the, the, uh, the pronouns there and notice his comment. So Jesus said, hey, put out. And let down your nets for a catch, assuming they would catch. And Peter says, hey, look, we, we've, we've actually been fishing all night. It, it's really, it's no big deal. 
uh, it's okay, we'll just, we'll just go back in. L- look what he said. He says, we told all night and took nothing. And then what does he say? But at your word, I will let the nets down. Right? Because James and John are looking at Peter and they're like, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. I've already cleaned the nets once. I'm not doing it again. And so Peter goes from, hey, we've been fishing all night to, okay, I'll do it. And so Peter takes the initiative, and Peter says, all right, I'll let the nets down. So Peter goes to toss the net out into the water. And so Peter's respect for Jesus was too high to refuse his demands. This is give us a little insight into Peter. He had too high of a view of God. His respect for Jesus was too high. You see, in our life, I believe that there's so much more that God could do and God would do if we had a higher view of who God is, right? So oftentimes in our life, we have limitations of what we believe God can do. And it's just like Peter said, well, Jesus, I've already tried that. How many times have we said that? Well, Jesus, I've already done that. I've already, I've already tried to encourage somebody. I've already been to my neighbor's house. I've already tried to love my coworker. I've already tried to be involved in filling the blank situation, right? But Peter says, look, I'll do it. He had a high view of who God is. You see, I think that's what's missing in culture today is that we have so diminished the view of God that people are not as reverent or as respectful towards uh, God as we see Peter obviously is. You see, it, it didn't make sense for Peter to do what Jesus asked him to do. He's a professional fisherman. And he says, hey, look, I've been doing this all night, but hey, this is what you want me to do. And so if you wait for things to make sense, then you are likely going to miss what God is doing. Peter could have said, Jesus, thanks, but no thanks. Um, I think we're just going to row back in. And he would have missed what God had in store for him. But he didn't. But he didn't. And so in verse 6, this is what he said. When they had done this, so Luke has given us this information here. Luke's very detailed. He says, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Now, don't miss the imagery here. Now, we've gotten this for ordinary life. Jesus is in the middle now. Peter has invited him in. Even though that it doesn't make sense, Peter is obeying Jesus through simple, common uh, obedience. And then all of a sudden now it says they, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Now again, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about nets. That's their profession, right? Their nets, their profession is beginning to break. You see, when we act, when God acts, rather, in our lives, the things that so often keep us in bondage begin to break. When God acts in our lives, the things that so often, look, what is keeping Peter from following God? What is keeping everyone from following God? It is the things in which we have become comfortable with in our own lives. Right? It's the things that we say, well, I don't want to give that up, or I'm not just like the rich young ruler. I've got too much money. I've got too many possessions. I've got too many friends, or whatever it may be. And he was unwilling to give that up in order to follow Jesus. That's the bondage that he was in. Peter's got the net. And if Peter says, I value my net more than I value obedience, what does Peter end up with? A very nice net for the rest of his life, but no eternity. Right? So in our own lives that we would say, hey, well, I'm saved. Well, what do you miss, right? What do you miss by saying I'm going to keep my net clean opposed to doing what God calls me to do that doesn't make any sense? 
You see, the attempt that Peter and his friends had to keep their nets clean could have caused them to miss the catch God intended for them. See, what happened is the things of God began to overwhelm the things of man. The things of God began to overwhelm the things of man. This is where you want to operate. This is where you want to operate. That you would say, Jesus, this doesn't make any sense. Jesus, I'm tired. Jesus, I've been working really hard. But you said to do it, so I'm going to do it. If it means that I break my nets in the process, I'm in. It began to overwhelm. You see, the way that you grew up, the things that you've always thought to be true or possible, suddenly are crushed under the weight of the reality of the gospel. You see, the greatest thing that could happen in Peter's life was for his net to break. It was. Now, who would say that, right? We know the other side of the story. We know the rest of the story. We know the rest of Peter's life. And we know that the best thing that could happen to him is that he would let go of his nets and that he would begin to follow Jesus. The same is true in our own lives. That before we knew Christ, that we thought we were doing right and we thought our life was great and we thought things couldn't be any better. And then what happened? We had a moment of crisis that there was something happened in our life that God orchestrated that showed us who he is and the sinfulness of who we really are are. That's what happened. And then we traded what we thought was awesome for what we never could imagine to be as amazing as it is in the gospel, right? That's what happened. And now we look back and we say, I would have given my net a thousand years earlier had I known how amazing the gospel is. You see, the greatest thing in our life that can happen is for our expectations to be completely shattered. That God would blow our minds in such a way that the things in which we so held on to pale in comparison to what we have received. It's just like what Pastor Tony talked about a couple weeks ago in the message. He he said that it's just like the, the man who found a treasure in the field, right? And what did he do? He went back and he sold everything he had to possess that treasure. Peter's nets are breaking. Because of all of the fish that God has blessed him with. You see, Peter, he had spent his whole life doing everything that he could do to prevent his nets from breaking. It was his livelihood. How many times in our own lives have we mended and toiled and worked to keep things together in our lives that God never intended to stay that way? How much heartache... And stress could simply be relieved when we would just let the net break. It was only when Peter relinquished his boat and his nets did he catch fish. It was only when he let go of his boat and he let go of his net. And so what happened? So it says they, they signal, so Peter signals over to his partners in the other boat to come and help them. Now, I'm not really sure how that went down. I don't know if uh, James and John were on the shore and they're like, I'm not going out there. I've spent all night. You're crazy. I'm not doing anything. And then Peter starts motioning and they hop in their boat and row out. I'm not sure how that went down. I don't know if they both went out there. I don't know. It just says they signaled to their partners uh, to come and help. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So the nets almost broke. Now the boats are beginning to sink. This is hilarious. 
So it's not the nets, interestingly enough, that actually caught the fish, right? It was the other boat that helped. It was the other boat that, that God would use people in Peter's life that he knew would help fulfill his purpose. And so these partners, they came in and they helped him catch the fish in which they had tried to do all night. And so in verse 8, when, when Peter, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Which gives you a clue into what he said at the beginning. Of, Lord, we've, or rather he said, Master, uh, we've done this all night. But if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. So it was almost like, okay, I mean, I mean I'll show you that there's no fish in here. And so it's almost like a disbelief comment because he repents. Because he says, depart from me, I am a sinful man. And then look what he says, oh, Lord. So Peter was like, okay, God, I get it. I get it. Earlier he had addressed Jesus as master. Teacher, um, listen, if you want me to put my net down, I'll do it. But now, all of a sudden, he's Lord. You see the change there? That he, it went from we have been stuck busy to I'll do it, and now it's master teacher to now you're Lord. Because what did he see? He saw a change in his life. Peter's understanding of Jesus helped Peter better understand himself. And so Peter saw his sinfulness for who he really is, just like Isaiah, just like you, just like me, that when we're confronted with the reality of Jesus as Lord, that we repent. You see, in our, in our world, and this is another time for another day, but this is the problem in, quote, Christianity today, is there has been this promotion of Jesus as Savior that he can forgive you of your sins, that he loves you unconditionally, and that you know, his grace abounds, which is absolutely true. But unless there is lordship, all those other things don't apply, right? You can say that Jesus is good and believe that. You, I mean, the demons in hell believe, James 2.19, right, and yet tremble. So you can say all of those things about God, but until you surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you are not saved. That's how I, did, I didn't write that. That you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And so for you and for me, we have to submit to the lordship of Jesus. And there's, you know, there's this discussion and debate about Savior versus lordship, and, and we've talked about that before. There is no discussion. It's Lord or nothing. And so Peter gets to this point to where he realizes, I believe that you were a good man, and I believe that you had done good things, and I believed partially in who you say you are. But now because of what you have revealed about yourself, and now what I understand to be true about me, I'm going to bow the knee to you and surrender to your lordship. That's how Peter saw what Jesus did in his life. He says in verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were the partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. So Peter, James, John, all that were with him, it says, were astonished. And so Peter goes from fisherman, failed fisherman, by the way, to the best fisherman ever, to submitting to the lordship of Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, now you're going to catch fish. Instead of catching all these great fish that you have, now you're going to catch men. 
So Peter is now called to something new. Peter's called to catch men. Now look what happened here. Look at, look at how the timeline of the story goes. No fish. Jesus teaches. Peter, Jesus calls Peter to obedience. Peter obeys. Peter catches lots of fish. Then Jesus says, follow me. Right? That's what happened. It wasn't when the nets were empty. Because you know why? Peter's fished all night. He hasn't caught anything. Jesus walks up and he says, hey, Peter, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And Peter's like, that sounds like a great idea, guys, because last night was terrible and I'm tired of doing this and we don't have any fish. So I'm not sure where he's going, but it's got to be better than me going home and telling my wife I didn't catch anything, right? And so he says, I'm not doing that. It's simple for me to walk away from something that doesn't work, right? But that's not what Jesus did. Here's what happened. Jesus caused Peter to have a confrontation with reality. There was a crisis moment in Peter's life that he looks and he sees the most fish he has ever caught. Okay? Peter's a fisherman. He sells fish for a living. And so he sees the most fish that he's ever caught. And in that moment, Jesus says, hey, Peter, follow me, and you're going to catch men from now on. And so he goes from the most success that he's ever had to surrendering it all. Again, this is just part of the lordship of Jesus, that he's surrendering it all to Jesus. Peter was surrounded by the most success that he had ever had. And at that moment, Jesus called him to follow. Jesus gave Peter an incredibly satisfying experience. And he created this moment of crisis, like I said, where they would have to make a decision that would change the rest of their lives. With their boats filled with fish and their hearts now satisfied with what they were trying to get out of life, they had to want Jesus more than the fish. And so what did Peter choose? We know the answer to that, right? Thankfully, we're on the other side. Peter chose Jesus. And Peter wasn't perfect, but Peter was pursuing. And so we know that eventually Peter uh, preached at Pentecost. We know 3,000 people were saved at Pentecost. And so in verse 11 it says, When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So Peter experienced something at the pinnacle of his profession, and he walked away. He walked away. The same thing, very similar but different miracle is recorded in John's gospel. So as we're talking about fish, it's fitting to toss this in. In John chapter 21, the Bible says in John 21, I'm not sure if this is on your handout, but it says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, Peter, uh, James, and John were there, and two others of his disciples were there. All right? And it says, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And so this is, let me give you a little context. This is after the resurrection, okay? Jesus has uh, he's been crucified. He's resurrected. And so we find uh, the disciples all together. And Peter says, guys, I'm going back fishing. So Peter, in our Luke 5 story, has now begun to follow Jesus. 
He's followed Jesus. Jesus has been crucified. Now he's resurrected. Now we're on the other side of the resurrection. Peter goes back fishing. And so this is our first recording of that. And says, and so they told him, hey, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Right? Deja vu. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, and that's assumedly John, said, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Now, this is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so then it gets into that famous passage where Jesus said, uh, Peter, Simon Peter, do you uh, love me more than these? And he said, well, feed my sheep, right? So he restored Peter. So we get this restoration moment now for Peter. Peter was called to be a fisher of men. Peter followed Jesus. Now we're at the end of Jesus' earthly life, and now he tells Peter what? To feed my, my sheep again. And so w- what does this mean? Well, these miracles clarified God's purpose for their lives. You see, lots of things could have been said and done in, in Luke chapter 5, but they weren't. You see, Jesus did something very intentional and very specific in Peter's life because he was clarifying what he was calling Peter to do. And it was in the proximity of Jesus, of course in his presence, but it was in his proximity that Peter was able to have clarity on what it is that God was calling him to do. And then we see in John 21, what does he say? He says, well, feed my sheep. He says, "Uh, truly I say to you, you were young and you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where, uh, where you do not want to go. And after these, he said to him, follow me. So in Luke 5, he gives him the calling, follow me. And then in John 21, he reminds him of the calling, follow me. Me. In Luke chapter 5, verse 10, we end Luke 5 with this. And so also were James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Remember, this is what he said. From now on, you will be catching men. He reminded Peter of what he had first called him to do. He reminded Peter of what he first called him to do. And so I just want to leave you just a few things here in closing to be reminded of. The first thing that I, I want us to remember here tonight is that be reminded of what God called you to and recommit to it. What, what is it that God called you to? What was the vision that God had given you as far as what he wanted you to be a part of? 
What, what, think back with me, all right? Rewind. Let's set the tape backwards here. What did it look like when you surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus? What, what did it look like when you realized who Jesus is for the first time? What did it look like when you, when you committed to follow Jesus? What did it look like the first time God stirred in your heart to be a part of Rescue 100? or to be a part of a mission trip of Guatemala or Brazil? or What did that look like in your life? You see, when God calls us to things, he called Peter to a lifetime of commitment to catching men. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't call us for temporary tasks, but what I am saying is this. Whatever God called you to, if you didn't finish that, go back and finish it. Recommit to what God called you to be a part of. If you have a passion for children's ministry, then you need to be actively involved in children's ministry. What did God call you to be a part of? God called Peter to be a fisher of men, and Peter tried his very best to jack that up. Right? He denied Jesus. He was hot-headed. He made a lot of people mad. Even some of the disciples didn't like being around Peter, but he knew what God called him to do, and he was faithful to be a part of what God called him to do, even through his failures. And so the question that I want to conjure up in your heart is, remember what God called you to do. And you say, well, I don't, I don't know what that is. Well, let's start with this. Are you a believer? Then here's what God called you to do, to love him passionately. That's what he called you to do, that you would commit your life, that you would give everything you have to the cause of Christ. That you will say, I would be a part of whatever Jesus is doing. And so, God, what do you want me to be a part of that you would commit to that? Or maybe, maybe you got involved and you were on fire and someone made you mad or the devil tripped you up or whatever happened. What I'm imploring you tonight is go back and finish. What is it that God called you to do? Why, why is that important? Well, it's important because of this. The Bible says in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this. You know this verse. I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you, what will he do? He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will finish it. So go back, if you left it, and finish it. Recommit to what God called you to do. He told Peter at the very beginning, you know, these guys were late teens, early 20s. And he tells Peter, look, hey, look, buddy, you're going to be a fisher of men. Peter understood that. He knew what that meant. He knew about nets. He knew about boats. And he knew what Jesus was saying. And the same is true for you. When God calls you to do something, you know what it means. It's not unsure of. I mean, as I was thinking about this, I thought about Mark and Penny. I thought about God calling them to Navajo, and I thought about the, the mission and the ministry and the focus and all of the things that God has done in the middle of that. I thought about you guys, and I thought about the fact that you know what you did? You said, yes, Lord, that's what you're calling me to do. doesn't make any sense. But yes, we'll do it. Right? I think about all the ministries that, that we're involved in, the things that God has put in front of us. I think about, I thought about Pastor Brian and the transition that God's working in his life, that God is calling him into this new ministry position. And it could be unsure and, and a little uncertain and scary, right? But I know Brian's heart, and I know that God has called him to what he's doing. And so the encouragement for me is that, man, when God calls you to do something, jump in with both feet and leave it all behind. Because it's totally worth it. There's not one scripture that I'm aware of in which Peter said, boy, I sure miss my nets. Right? I sure miss my nets. 
man, he was tickled pink to be counted on the team of Jesus. And if he calls you to do something, and he does, he will, he has probably, jump in, man, jump in. And if you walked away from it, it's okay. Let's get back in. Look, Peter tried to walk away. But we all know what happened with Jonah, right? He jumped right in the belly. And so for you and I, sometimes we may try to walk away. And then God will say, no, no, I called you to do something. You're going to be a part of that. I'm going to bring you back into it. So recommit to what God has called you to do. Number two, your dirty boat is the stage by which God does miraculous things. That's good right there, even if I do say so myself. Your dirty boat is the stage by which God does miraculous things. You think that boat is on display in Jerusalem? You think so? You think it's in the museum right there? This is the boat, which it should be, right? I mean, think about that. That God took this old worn-out fisherman that's worth nothing in his own eyes, and he says, I'm going to use your boat, and for thousands of years later, people are going to talk about this. And so the question is for me, well, I mean, for me, I could say I got a lot of dirty boats, right? You could say the same thing. Maybe, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if your, your boats are dirty or clean, right? So the things, the tools at which God has equipped you with, what does that look like? What do those tools look like? You say, well, I don't know if God could use those. Well, then he can because that's the recipe for to be used, If you walk around and say, look, I got this new shiny bass boat and God is going to do amazing things with this thing, probably not. But if you say, I don't know how God could use this, but I'm willing to let him use it for whatever he wants to use it for, well, then guess what? Recipe for a miraculous event in your life. So the stage is our dirt, it's our sinfulness, it's our doubt, it's our confusion, it's our uncertainty. That's the stage by which God does miraculous things. So you would say, I'm not really sure if God called me to do that, but I really want to be a part. I really feel like that's what he called me to do, but I just don't know what that looks like. Well, then push out from the shore and see what happens. So your dirty boat is the stage. And last but not least, God works through our obedience not in spite of our disobedience. Now, I want to clarify here. God can do whatever he wants to do. And sometimes he takes our disobedience and he uses it. But what the point that I'm trying to drive home is this, is that God is calling you to be obedient. What did, what did, he, what did he tell Peter? It says when he told him to, to cast his net, in verse 6, Luke chapter 5, verse 6, it says when Peter had done what Jesus told him to do, When he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. When he did what God told him to do. So, listen, we're hard-headed, okay? Let's just, let's get it all on the table. And a lot of times in our life, I think what we say is, well, God's going to do whatever he wants to do, and I'm just, I don't know, so I'm not doing it. And then we think that in spite of our disobedience, that God is obligated to work. Hang on now, let's rewind here. It was in Peter's obedience that Jesus did a miraculous event in his life. Peter could have totally been off the boat here. He could have said, no, I'm not doing it. You have to ask James and John. And then the story would be about who? James and John. And so in your own life, don't, in spite of disobedience, expect God to work. But say, God, I want to do everything that I can do on my part so that you would do everything that you do. 
What was it that the missionary said? Work as though everything depended on you. Pray as though everything depended upon God. And so in your own life, that's the check to say, God, I want to be obedient. I want you to use my dirty vessels. I want you to take everything in my life that you call me to, and I want you to do miraculous things in it. And I want to be obedient in the little, small things every day, God, so I don't know when you're going to ask me to to push my boat out. I don't know when there's going to be a lot of fish in the front. I don't know when you're going to call me to catch men. But here's what I do know. I know that you call me to love you with everything that I've got, and that means loving people around me because that was the second part is love your neighbor. And so I will be faithful to do that, God. I will be faithful to follow. You. I will be faithful in the things that I know that you've called me to so that when you do call me to something different, I will be readily available because I know what it means to hear from you to say yes to that. And I'll be obedient so that in my obedience, you will be glorified. That's what Peter wanted. Again, study the life of Peter. Jesus said, you'll be a fisher of men. And so Peter said, okay, I'm in. And then at the very end, in John 21, after Jesus is resurrected, three and a half years later, Peter goes back to catch a few fish. And lo and behold, just like the last time, there are none until Jesus shows up. So what has God called you to do? Be faithful in the ordinary every day and let God do what God does. That's how he works. And it's so miraculously awesome to watch Because there's so many, as I thought about this, I know I just gave you a couple of examples, but I thought of so many stories of the things that God's done just in my life, of of so many examples of this stuff. And it's because that's who He is. And so I hope you've been as encouraged as I've been tonight as we've looked. Let's pray, and uh, and we'll go home. God, thank you for tonight. Uh, Lord, thank you for boats and fish and people and nets.